And welcome once again to another edition of Footnotes. Pastor Mark here, and today we're talking about not retiring. Now, I've just got a confession to make to my guest who is sitting across from me, Bruce. I'm terrified of retirement. So maybe today you can help me out as I think through what to do when, when, which will be probably 100 years from now, when I finally become old and it's time to retire. Excited to have on our show today, Bruce Brinsma, who is the CEO and founder, CEO and founder of Retirement Reformation Ministries. And I'm intrigued to talk to him because he is going to be challenging us to rethink what it means to retire. So whether you have 30 more years of working or whether you're right around the corner or maybe you're there, what should retirement look like for a believer and how can we better think about the possibilities and the prospects for what lies ahead? That's what we're talking about today on Footnotes. So, Bruce, it's so good to have you uh, on Footnotes. Thank you for taking time all the way from Colorado Springs, Colorado. Now, that's where a lot of people go to retire, (laughs) right? Is that right? The weather is, what, like 75 degrees almost all year long? Well, it's a little bit more than that. We have snow. We have Pikes Peak. We have – it's an actually beautiful, beautiful part of the country. There are – a large number of seniors, but more people go there prior to retirement because they'd like to just raise a family there or live there. We've got the Air Force Academy. We've got all, we've got about uh, 300 Christian ministries that are headquartered there. So it's a, it's a great place to live, but it's also a blessing for me to be able to be with you and your church members here in, uh, in Mississippi. Yeah, well, we're thankful that you flew in. You had a rough flight yesterday. You were telling me you flew from Colorado Springs to Charlotte, and then you got to your hotel room last night, almost, what, midnight? It was a little bit after midnight. Put my head down about 1230. As a matter of fact, it was Colorado Springs to Dallas to Charlotte to Memphis. So traveling these days is a bit of a challenge. But uh, you must have gone greyhound (laughs) (laughs) that kind of with that kind of uh, stoppage and schedule that was going on there kind of felt that way. But the you know, the message of the retirement reformation uh, is keyed off of Romans 12 2, where it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of our mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Unfortunately, what we find is that when we do the math, uh, Pastor Mark, there's about 48 million Christ followers that are, say, 60 and older. And that 48 million, when you ask them what are they going to do in retirement, come up with some version of nothing. And so this transitioned into what the world calls retirement. Retirement's not in the Bible. Mm-hmm. But we, when, we, when we go through these transitions of, of what does it mean to be to stepping into that transition from career to the next phase or any of the next three phases of retirement. And we yeah. can talk about that later if you yeah. wish. The, the, the renewing of our minds, while in fact we do get older and that's called senescence and so we just simply get older. Uh, then in fact there are these periods of transition and that's called liminal and we can talk about that if you wish. But then we have events that happen, but that retirement 
is actually a 30-year period. And this is something new for the church, something new for all of our members and, and those that we don't have any models of what that uh, looks but, like. But it's new for culture. It is totally new for I culture. I mean, people in the old days, and, and let's talk about that in a minute. I want to just point out for those who are listening you are 82 years of age. <laughs> so I talked about your flight from Colorado Springs, the fact that you spoke to our seniors today at our senior luncheon and you've been brought in. You are not retired, but you are traditionally retirement age, which is significant. So let's just kind of delve into the topics we're going to talk about, frame it around these questions. You're, you're getting there, so let's just keep going. What is retirement refor- reformation which you give you've given us the verse why is it important and how does this really impact the kingdom of god so let me let you keep going there what is retirement reformation you're telling us renew the mind renew the mind while the body may be getting slower some parts of the mind may get in. Matter of fact, let me give you the defini- culture's definition of retirement so we got something to contrast yeah. it with And the culture's definition of retirement is that it's one homogeneous period, it's all downhill physically and mentally, and then you die. And the goal is to jam as much leisure as you can to that intervening period. And so our culture preaches that, and everything you see on TV when you see an ad from an insurance company or anybody else, it's always people on the beach in doing leisurely things, and there is no concern about what can happen. And so when we are old, our minds can be removed, renewed while our lives may be changing. And then we can experience the fruit of the Spirit and we can do what it is that Christ calls us to do and that we can be fruitful and we can be impactful and we can be faithful, not till we're 65 or not till we're 70 or 75 or even 82, but we can be faithful for a lifetime. Mm-hmm. faithful for a lifetime. So what does that mean and how do we do it? So for your listeners, some of you are in your 30s and maybe 40s and 50s. Each one of you has parents. And so some days you're scratching your head and going, what in the world is wrong with them? They're just sitting around doing nothing. Well, maybe between us we can help them to find meaning and purpose, just like your life is challenged to find meaning and purpose regardless of our age. And and so when we, when we think about what Jesus said, and we start from there, let's go to John 15, 16, where he said, and this always amazed me. I remember the first time it really jumped off the page at me, where it said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. Wow. I'm special. <laughs> God chose me just like he chose you. And then he says, and I've prepared you to bear much fruit, fruit that will last. And oh, by the way, and don't forget, love your neighbor. <laughs> Christ gives us quite a call, right? It, so, so, Bruce, I said to you at the beginning of the podcast, I'm terrified of retirement. And the reason I say that is going back to the traditional definition that culture imposes that terrifies me. Now, my personality, I can tell you that if I had 30 years of nothing, and I'm not trying to offend anyone, I'm sure there's plenty to do, but my brain cannot comprehend that right now in my working years. All my life, I have gone to school, 
I have gotten married and raised a family. I have done ministry calling that has been put upon my life, helping to build churches for the sake of the kingdom, and I haven't really stopped. I can't imagine what that would look like. Now, maybe that's a very flawed problem in me, but this idea of just quitting and doing what all day long, I would get depressed. I would literally get depressed. My father, who is 86 at the present time, he was here today. He always was a very hard worker, blue-collar worker, worked with his hands, uh, was a steam fitter, pipe fitter, and did that all of his life. He told me when he retired, he said he retired once, I think around 65, and then he went back to work. He said, I can't just sit around and watch Judge Judy all day, which is what you do. If you do that, you deteriorate. You start to become depressed. What is the point of this? Now at 86, he's not working any longer, but he has a garden that he keeps up. He loves his garden, huge garden that he keeps up every day uh, when it's permissible. He has a dog that he walks every day. There's things that he's doing to try to keep himself busy. And so I look at that and think, well, what am I going to do? Because, look, I, I don't know how to garden, and I don't even like Judge Judy right now. I'm not going to be able to watch it four times in a day. So I'm going to have to stay active. And that's what I love about the message of retirement reformation. You're, you're telling seniors, don't watch Judge Judy all day. What I'm telling them is that God has a plan for their life. And their plan is to be fruitful. Let me talk about being fruitful for a moment because that helps with the context. During our working careers, we measure our value by our activity. How long is your to-do list and how many check marks do you have against that to-do list? And if we only have one or two checklists, oh, that was a bad day, I didn't do much. If you take that same measure of value and put that into your senior years, it does not work. So what does work? How do you measure value as a senior? And that's where the message of Jesus comes in. He says, I expect you to bear fruit. So what's the definition of fruit that we can use, whether we're 40 or 50 or 70 or 80 or 100? It's the impact that we have on others for Jesus, the impact that we have. And so at 65, your ability to have impact is not lessened, but it may change. At 86, you can still have impact, but it may change in how you do it. Let me take your father as an example and kind of pull that out of the air. He's got a garden. I will bet you that there are five junior high kids that love gardening, that would love to be able to spend time with him and have him show them what it is that he's doing in his garden and why and have them work together. What happens is that as we grow older, our world shrinks. Our wife dies, our husband dies, our friends die, our friends move away, uh, our grandkids are too busy, and so our world shrinks. And as it shrinks, we become lonely and we forget that what a friend we have in Jesus. So we forget that and we just continue to delve into ourselves. 
And as, as we just look into ourselves, nothing good can happen from that. And so to find not something to be busy, but to be fruitful. Oh, I like that. There's the challenge. Mm-hmm. That's good. More of a biblical perspective. So let's ask this question. Would you say that seniors in the church are retired but not often fruitful? I've certainly seen that, and I think that's what you were challenging them with today. It's not just about leisure. It's about doing something re-engaging for the kingdom. So I fear just sitting around doing nothing. I, and, but you're saying to us, well, that's not what Jesus wants you to do ever. Ever. He wants you to be fruitful. He's chosen you. He loves you. He's called you. He's gifted you. He's prepared you. He's prepared you. So it may look different in different seasons of life. Let's talk about that for a minute because you used a phrase, um, and I can't remember because they were two phrases I've never heard before. So sen- senescence, senescence, which is just the natural aging. So we're all going through senescence. Timothy over there, who is 25, is going through senescence as we speak. Timothy, what what are you? How are you aging? Too fast too fast all right but you and i bruce we're not we're not going through senescence only this young guy but everyone goes through just natural aging where our body slows god made us that way Mm -hmm. i love what you said in there uh to the group today it's normal it doesn't catch god by surprise that's a result of sin and death and god knows it and it's his his design but then you used a word and what is the other word you said there's these moments seasons if you will and what are those called well transitional seasons called liminal l-i-m-i-n-a-l and when i when i discovered that word or god brought me that word it was like oh my goodness transitions are the time when we make decisions that impact what's coming next and so to understand that there will be transitions in our lives whether you're 23 or whether you're 83 there will be transitions, and in those transitions, they are a, they're a period of time. It's not forever. It's the period of time, and then the decisions that you make. And if you look at the lens of those decisions through the fruits of the Spirit, you'll make God-honoring decisions, and he will guide and lead you into what's next. Rather than it being nothing, it will be something, and we will have at the end of a liminal period is the end of nothing and the beginning of what's next. So these liminal periods, give us an example of what that might be and the danger that can come in the liminal periods if we are not expecting them and we are not anticipating them and thinking ahead, essentially. So you take this transition from career to, uh, to quote-unquote, retirement, and you go from a pattern of, you know, you're at the office by 7.30 in the morning or 8 o'clock in the morning and you do this and you do this and this is what your career was. All of a sudden, that's gone. And now you go, well, now what it is that I'm going to do? And you were so looking forward to doing nothing and then what you find out that nothing is so good. And the, one of the examples I used this morning uh, for the senior group was the time when they became, the, the first liminal period was the time when they became empty nesters. 
which is so real for which even for some you. of my, my age group. Absolutely. They're starting to realize the kids are all gone. gone. So that's a liminal period. And so now, what are you going to do during that liminal period? It's a time of transition. And when it, and as we talked this morning, when you are surprised by a time of transition, there's often depression, there's anxiety, there's loss. You know, I don't have, what do I have now? I had before I was valuable because I did X. Now, what is my value? And so all of a sudden we go through these emotional transitions uh, and during this liminal period. And it's very clear what we've retired from, let's say, but it's unclear about what we retired to. So when it's a surprise, we react to that and we have all these negative emotions. Contrast it with someone who's expecting it and says, okay, what can I do during this period of transition to adapt to the change, to realize what the opportunities are, and to be able to examine how God has prepared me for something next, and then to be able to begin to take steps into his preferred future for us. Uh, not just, wait, matter of fact, I had one of your, one of the ladies came up to me after this morning and just said, you know, I got to talk to my husband about this liminal period. I think he's stuck in it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and how do you get him out of that? And I said, well, that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So you can share the ideas, you can share the thoughts and the transition, but at some point, that hole in his soul needs to get big enough that it needs to be filled. Mm-hmm. Well, and the misnomer of retirement in the culture is that we will be filled if we're doing nothing. Right. Or just a, leisure. Or just leisure. And you made a comment today that such an attitude will make you happy for maybe a short period of time, but soon it will eat away at your soul right. because you're doing nothing. And we're meant to do something, especially as believers. We're meant to be fruitful. I remember first church I was ever on staff at, there was a man who had worked a really good job and had retired early. I want to say, you know, mid to late 50s. Yeah, 55, 6, 7. And he said to he, he had moved back to the Memphis area. He said that they had moved off to Arkansas where he had hunting land and I think maybe a family home. And so the idea was they were going to retire from his job and he was going to go uh, move back home and hunt all day long. And his comment to me was, you can't hunt all day long. You can only hunt for so long. And he came to that realization after being retired for six months to a year I'm miserable. I have nothing to do. So he moved back where the kids and grandkids were and re-engaged his life. So John Piper, I think, said, don't call it retirement, call it re-engagement. Engagement, refirement, reigniting, all kinds of things that, that, that give you the mental picture of a change and stepping into something new that will be fulfilling. For many people when they retire, they've got a bucket list, they've got a honeydew list, and it takes maybe six months to a year, sometimes two years for those things to play out. But at some point, they certainly don't last for 30 years. And when you look and you see, a friend of mine said, and I'm sure he got that someplace else, but it, it always just stuck with me is, is Find a need and fill it. Find a hurt and heal it. 
find somebody to love and do it. As Jesus said, love your neighbor. What does that look like? Man, it may look like bringing a pie to your neighbor or it may look like going to Africa. I mean, whatever it looks like, it's going to be different. But God's mosaic, when Christ created the church, it was to be a reflection of him. And because he was perfect, it had so, he had so many components. Well, it is us as the church that together make up those components. That's why I, the, the, the title of what I did this morning was called Seniors Are Better Together. And it's because as the church, each one of us brings a unique, specific role that we're prepared for. And that doesn't make it matter what age you are, but it is also true in the senior years. Talk about the lady who had the phone book ministry. My, one of my favorite stories, because it takes away my excuses, is a friend of mine named Pam. And Pam's 93 and lives in a group home or in a, a support facility in Tucson. And she's in the last year or two of her life. And she had spent a lifetime as, a, as teaching missionary kids overseas. And so, again, she's 93. So she gets up every morning oh, around 7.30 or so, gets some breakfast, goes to the bathroom, climbs back in bed. And what Pam does is on the table next to her, is her pills and her water bottle, as you might expect. Then, interestingly enough, there's an old phone book and a telephone. And she, about 9 o'clock, she takes that old phone book and the telephone, and she goes to the dog-eared page in the phone book and then goes down the list of the people on the page that are crossed off and dials the next phone number. When someone answers, she says this, Good morning. My name is Peg. And I'm praying my way through the phone book. You were next on the list. How may I pray for you? I bet she gets some interesting replies. Some people hang up. Some people say, you know, it's none of your business. Some people go, oh, thank you for calling. And they have a dialogue. And, and I'm, Pastor Mark, I'm not totally sure, but it may be that Pam's fruit that she, that she is bringing, that she is nourishing from her bedside on the phone at age 93 in the last couple of years of her life, may be just as impactful and maybe even more so than all the years that she was on the mission field. And I know when I talk to Pam and she says, Bruce, I've never felt more used by God. Hmm. You go, right on, Pam. And so as I was sharing this morning, whenever I get a little depressed or down or tired or whatever, and I think, wow, is this really what I need to do? And then I think of Pam and I'm immediately energized by this Holy Spirit using her as an example. So you don't have to quit even if you're 93 in a nursing home and you really can't get out of bed except for breakfast. There's something you can do to be fruitful, which is so encouraging. Re-engage. So Retirement Reformation aims to bring this message. Now you go all around to churches and all around the country and and in some cases around the world. And what we've been looking for in most recently are, are examples of ministry activities that every senior can do. So for example, intergenerational prayer is something that everyone can do. And that we need to break down the, the silos by age in our churches and in our society. So intergenerational prayer is one way to do that. Mentoring is another way to do that. 
That's something that every Christ follower can do. And so as we, as we think about what are the roles that we can all take on, um, there may be something very unique, very special, very different for you, but there also may be a way just step, to be able to step into the lives of others and to be able to make a difference. So you talk about mentoring. Here you are an older saint in the church. Retirement Reformation would say, think about how you can be fruitful in this particular season of your life. Anticipate the changes. If you know you're going to be an empty nester, then say, okay, what has God prepared me to do? And how can I use my empty nest syndrome for betterment of the kingdom of God? Uh, What would be some examples of mentoring? So let's even take an empty nester in their 40s or 50s and say, here you are transitioning. You're not yet retired, but this is a liminal moment that you're encountering. So how could they mentor? For example, one of the things as the, as the leader of a church that, that you could do as, as a pastor, and this is true whether you include it in one of your sermons or you do it on a podcast or whatever, but you challenge the congregation to say, who in the congregation would like to have someone come alongside them and be able to share life together with them who maybe has more experience than you do. You can use the term mentoring or not, but it's really just simply coming alongside. Mm-hmm. And what we're, what we're learning is that, is that there is a great fear among seniors that they won't be able, that they, won't, that they aren't knowledgeable enough or they aren't, 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 aren't. So we're put in the process of putting together two workshops that will take seniors through it that will encourage them and explain what mentoring looks like. So mentoring of someone younger. Now, it could be somebody in high school, whole mentoring needs there, college age, young marrieds, middle marrieds. All of those cases of mentoring are, are needed and available. But it's interesting. It's also there's called peer uh, mentoring where someone my age has, has some real needs and they're lonely. So I can come alongside them and be able to share some of my experiences with them and, and just listen to who it is they are and what it is they're doing. There's also one last stage and that's called senior mentoring, where in fact you can mentor someone who's older than you are, someone maybe someone's parents' age, because there's life issues that we all have. And we are not meant to go through those life issues with loneliness and not a realization of what the love of Jesus means in the activity of our lives. So mentoring across the board. So we'll have a mentoring curriculum that will be available later this year and uh, to be able to encourage uh, seniors to be able to step into that role and then to encourage church leadership to invite younger people if you would like to have that relationship. And what kind of surprising to me, frankly, but what I'm seeing and learning is that is the number of younger people who would like to sit down with someone older or uh, couples that would like to sit down with an older couple and hear about their life experiences, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yeah, uh, Because it all helps. It all helps. Mentoring is so valuable. It doesn't just have to be you one-on-one. You know, I think about empty nesters offer a parenting class at your church. Your kids have grown and gone out of the house, 
and you're at that liminal stage and you say, what do we do? Well, what if you had a home group in your home and you invited six or seven different couples and said, look, I know that you're just starting out parenting. We've been down the road. We've had toddlers. We've had teenagers. We've had dates. We've had all the good, the bad, and the ugly, and we even graduated them and saw them off, and they they turned out to be decent human beings. You know, (laughs) they didn't go to prison, and so we would love to maybe mentor. Maybe they did go to prison, and we'd still love to mentor you so that you don't go down that road. What a blessing that would be if some of those people at that liminal stage said, I'm going to use my experience parenting to minister to other people in the church that are younger than me. And that's the Titus 2 principle in Scripture, the older women mentoring the younger, the older men being an example to the younger. I think about it for seniors. Uh, we have a lady, uh, well, shes I wouldn't say she's a senior, but she lost her husband uh, about two years ago. She still works, full-time job, uh, but she has taken on the ministry of discipling about 25 to 30 young ladies who love coming over to her house every other Tuesday night for a meal and Bible study. And a lot of these ladies are, are young moms, and they are going to this other lady. I'll, I'll say she's 40, okay, wink, wink. Uh, but they're going over to this other lady's house who's 40, who's a widow, whose you know, kids are all grown and out of the house, and her grandkids are about grown. You know, it's getting to that point. They're teenagers. But these young moms love her. And uh, next Tuesday night, Life Action, all the girls at Life Action are going to that Bible study. They're going to go hang out, and they're going to see the camaraderie and the fellowship. And so no matter where you are in the stage of life, you can mentor other people. I I even think about Bruce, an older couple in Texas. They were just the biggest blessing to my wife and I. When we moved to Texas to pastor, we were brand-new parents, and we had our baby girl. And we were eight hours away from home, and we had no grandparents near us. And this elderly couple adopted us. Their boys were pastors who lived off. Their grandkids were grown men now in the ministry. And they said, you know, our grandkids are all grown, and we're here by ourselves, and we want to become your kids, Mammy and Pappy, if you will let us. And so every Friday— they had a date with our kids and they would get our kids we would bring them over to their house and they would just spoil our children there was a sign they had printed that said i can at mammy and pappy's and my kids knew when they got to mammy and pappy's house mammy and pappy were in their 70s when they got to mammy and pappy's house they got all the popsicles they wanted even though mom didn't want that to happen and uh, they knew they were going to get Mammy's beans when it was time for lunch and chicken nuggets, and they were always excited about that. And Mammy and Pappy would go to yard sales on Saturday, and they would buy cheap, junky toys. And they would bring those toys home, and, and they would put them in an outside closet. Mammy and Pappy lived in a, in a mobile home. I mean, it wasn't anything big or great or grand and they they had a little shed out back and they put those toys in the shed and they would tell our kids when they came over every friday you get to go in that shed and pick one 
present. And my kids thought they had died and gone to heaven. They would go in there and they would show us, look what we got today at Mammy and Pappy's. They thought it was the greatest thing in the world. And it was yard sale stuff. And the genius of that is that they would get to go in at the beginning, get their popsicle and their toy. Well, they'd play with that toy for most of the rest of the day at Mammy and Pappy's. And Mammy and Pappy would just sit outside with them and watch them play store and Walmart and all the imaginative things that kids play. Well, guess what mom and dad got to do? Go on a date, a lunch date. We got to be together. A lot of times we went to Walmart because back then there was no delivery. So we didn't have four kids. So we went to Walmart. And if Amanda had, you know, a doctor appointment uh, for being a mom, we'd go on Friday together. They were a tremendous blessing to us. We have a term for that. It's called wraparound grandparenting. And uh, matter of fact, we have a new initiative uh, called the Legacy of Love, which your description is just absolutely beautiful of what, in fact, that can look like. But we've identified a couple of different areas uh, where, in fact, that can really be meaningful. One of those areas is, is those who are foster parents. The, the numbers are there's 400,000 kids in the foster system. 113,000 of them need to have foster parents. And what happens in that environment is that when someone becomes a foster parent, it's typically pretty hard. And so they will step back out of that parenting role, that, that uh, foster parenting role after a year. So the, the needs are just continuing to grow. Well, this, one of the solutions to helping them not to have to back out of that is to bring together a team of three, three older couples who will come together as a team to support that foster parent. If they can do that, the things that they will do will be exactly what it is that you are describing. It could be respite, it could be bringing a meal, could be going and cheering at the football game, could be whatever. But uh, the church could solve that problem of 113,000 of those young people that need foster, that need, uh, foster homes. Uh, in six months, but we need seniors to be able to wrap around those folks. Now, the same issues with single moms, same issue with single dads, issues with young parents, and so that whole role of wraparound grandparenting can play itself out in the church in such meaningful ways. And and the, the beauty of that, Pastor Mark, is this. Not only is, does it bring relief and support to the parents and and modeling for the kids, but it also affects the loneliness issues of the seniors because they can then come together and they'll find meaning and purpose and relationship. And so if you have three of them together, they can come together and pray. They can come together and laugh and talk to each other about the experiences that they're having. And then maybe once a quarter to bring, let's say in a church, uh, there are five or six of those cadres to bring them all together in one place for them to have community so that the, the, minister, the impact of ministry is to the parents, to the foster kids, and to the wraparound grandparents. So we'll, we'll, we'll be having a, uh, uh, two workshops for people that say, I think I'd like to be a wraparound grandparent, but I don't know exactly what that means, that they can go online and they'll be able to go through so they'll have a better understanding and then to be able to connect them with a local agency where they can be matched uh, with 
foster uh, with foster parents and to challenge each church that we go to to put that kind of activity, that kind of realization, that kind of challenge, that kind of ministry, uh, to make that available of, of who, who can be a foster parent and who can support them. And you say, how do we change our culture and how do we impact kids? There's a way for us to do it. Yeah, so there's always the possibility of some kind of mentoring, whatever that is, whatever that looks like, whatever your age is, there's a way for you to re-engage in those liminal periods of life. Now, you've mentioned a lot of resources, and we're going to have this linked in the bio of the podcast, but you have this ministry. If someone wanted to research your ministry, Retirement Reformation, what is the website that they could go to? Because you're, you're talking about we're developing this curriculum, we're giving this resource, so there's a place they can go. And you even have a podcast that you do. And so reference the webpage for that if somebody's listening. So for those of you who are listening, go to retirementreformation.org, retirementreformation.org. And there you will find a whole potpourri of resources from books to a podcast called I Retire for Him uh, to, uh, to resources. We have what's called a Retirement Reformation Manifesto, which we could do another whole show about. And, uh, and so there's lots and lots of support material that's available there. You also can, can connect with us, and I'd be happy to have a conversation with anyone who says, I'm, I'm really challenged with this problem. What, in fact, could we do? And the same thing is true with our staff. We also have a, uh, a, a workshop. Uh, Ten sessions can be done in a short time or over an extended period of time called Recreating Retirement. And in recreating retirement, it walks in a small group setting all those people through what, what's God's vision of retirement and then how has he prepared you. And you end up with a vision statement and an action plan answering the question of what's next. Yeah, so there's resources that are available resources. on this subject. And that's uh, retirementreformation.org. So, Bruce, let's talk about this, why this is all important. So let's kind of move to the second question. The first, what is retirement reformation? And, and you've kind of given us a broad scope of the what and how that operates and what you offer. But why this is important is because of the word isolation. So let's talk about that because that is a big issue you address in your seminars, isolation, which is huge for seniors, but it's not only seniors. It's anyone at, to use the term again, a liminal phase of life. When you get into these changing liminal seasons, whether it's empty nest, whether it's changing jobs, whether it's, you know, changing career or re-engaging in what we call retirement, these liminal moments bring isolation, which is dangerous. Now, you made some statistical comments that blew my mind. You said, you said, this is the first thing I thought of. I thought of Jackie Gleason. Now, let me explain why. You said that research suggests that loneliness is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day. Now, the reason I thought of Jackie Gleason is because it was reported that he smoked a carton of cigarettes a day toward the end of his life. Can you imagine? 
That's 18 cigarettes, not that I know, uh, times 10 packs. How many is that, Timothy? That's a whole lot. I don't know. Now they're doing 20 in a pack, not that I know. And um, anyway, so 20 times 10 would be, what, 200 cigarettes? How did Jackie Gleason do that? That's why he died so young. He smoked too many cigarettes. So kids, stay off that. But you said it's the equivalent of 15 cigarettes, and I was sitting next to someone who felt isolated, and I said, well then you better go ahead and smoke the cigarettes. At least you're going to get something out of this deal if you're (laughs) isolated. Now, isolation is a huge problem across the board on so many levels. When you were talking about it, four tables up from me, I saw a woman mouth to another woman, I feel lonely so many times. I mean, I saw that come out in a whisper, reading her lips. I feel felt isolated as a pastor at times isolation's real so talk to us about that because it it becomes very real in these luminal seasons of life yeah isolation and and typically women will use the word lonely men will use the word isolation as a matter of fact if you ask a man "Are, are you isolated he'll say no and then you say well tell me what's going on in your life well my two friends died my wife died the dog died uh, my kid and said, "Well, it sounds like you're kind of isolated." And then they'll go, "Yeah, that's exactly right." Women will use the word "lonely," and so it's kind of interesting in that dynamic. But the report that was put out in in May by the Surgeon General of the United States, uh, which is entitled "An Epidemic of Isolation and Loneliness in the United States," and then the subtitle and its impact on our health, and it was there that I found the quote of that loneliness is equal to smoking 15 cigarettes a day in terms of its impact on your health. And so when I, when I think about it, actually, it, it really makes me sad. Because when I think of all the institutions, of all the organizations, of all the places to be where you should not be lonely, it should be in the church. And yet, and yet so many of these people, we did a uh, if you want to go, uh, if you're on Facebook and you go to um, the group area, we have a, a private group, if you wish, that you have to apply to um, uh, called Retirement um, Reset. And we've got, and we didn't know whether we get anybody to join that or not. Well, we're just pushing 4,000 members. Wow. 4,000 people. And we asked them in there, why are you joining? And I, my, I've asked my staff to go back and do the count, but I, my instinct, it's about 25% or maybe more of the people say, because I am lonely. That's the reason why the group. So this need for community. And, and so when you realize that when we look at in, in John 15, starting in the 14th verse, where Jesus talks about, I call you friend. We should never be lonely because we can have Jesus as a friend if our spiritual connection is active and live. If it is not, we will not have any friends and we will be lonely. So we have a spiritual connection and, and maybe you can even help me to, to be able to find ways to express that in a, in, a, in a really healthy but clear way that is challenging that will bring people. So at any rate, so within the church, uh, the, the, the 
loneliness. As a matter of fact, when I asked the, the group this morning, I, and I didn't ask for a show of hands, but when I said, so how many of you, you have experienced or know someone who is lonely? And you could just tell by the reaction of the audience that just about everybody either knew someone or they were, in fact, experiencing that. So in the church, it's not just activity. It's not just activity. It's not just busyness. Uh, but it is real, authentic connectivity with someone else who cares, is willing to listen, and share their life experience. When we talk about mentoring, for example, that's, it scares some people. But really, all it is is coming alongside. So what's the antidote to loneliness? Coming alongside. Coming alongside of Jesus. Coming alongside of each other as fellow believers and then supporting each other in what we do. So loneliness, it's an absolutely huge issue. Uh, just as a reminder, if you'd like to read that report, go to the uh, uh, website for the Surgeon General of the U.S. and you'll see that report highlighted and you can just download it and take a look at it. It's really impactful. And when we think about what it is to be fruitful, as we talked about before, impact on others, when we are doing that, we will not be lonely because we will have our relationship with them and their relationship with us. And so everything we think about with the Retirement Reformation says, how do we bring ourselves together in some perhaps new configuration of relationship, some new configuration of community? How do we do that? And, and, and so the, the, the church is called to, to in, our, in our society, to find new ways for that to happen. But you talk about meaningful connectivity, and I want to highlight that because so often Senior Saints Ministry at Church, and I've been doing church now for well over 25, 30 years vocational ministry, whether it was part-time staff, full-time, whatever, and every senior group I've seen they tend to just think this is a place to just have fun. Let's play 42. Let's, you know, make sure we get to eat chicken together and give me something to do. Take me on a fall foliage tour to the Northeast. And not that there's anything necessarily wrong, just like the youth group goes places to connect young people, but it's always purposeful. There's going to be preaching, there's going to be teaching, and the point is discipleship. Now, there may have been youth groups at churches in the past where they just went on a ski trip to go on a ski trip, but anyone that I've ever been a part of, there was intentionality in every trip we took. There was, there was purpose. So it was either winning, building, or equipping was the purpose. That's the old Sun Life youth mm -hmm. ministry model that I was yep. trained under. Every event you do is either winning, building, or equipping. And so I was telling this senior who was kind of saying, look, you know, I want the church to pay for some of this trip or whatever. I said, it's not really the church's responsibility to provide trips. Now, if it's a discipleship trip, that's fine. It's not wrong to have a trip. If they want to pay for it, that's fine. It's okay you know, again, there's parameters, but we don't, they're like, well, the youth go places. Yeah, but the youth go with intentionality. Now, if you want to have that kind of intentionality and we can define what we're doing and why we're doing it, then that's going to be great. 
And I just want to say that because, again, a lot of senior saints ministries that I've been a part of, it just kind of devolves into game day. Well, as, as, as I travel around the country, the definition of a great seniors program is two lunches a month and a trip a quarter. There you go. And that's the extent of it. And so, as a matter of fact, there was someone at a, at a meeting I was doing recently, and they were talking about a trip that their senior group was going to take. And, and uh, I, I said to them, I said, while you're on the bus to go to wherever it is that they were going, I said, why don't you have some discussion questions that they can have amongst themselves? What is God calling you to do next? Rather than, oh, look at the site. What has happened is that the church in relation to seniors has so embraced the cultural's definition that we treat seniors the way we treat four-year-olds. Our job is to entertain them, and then the seniors' view is that the church's job is to entertain us. And so you lose all the benefits for them as well as for the kingdom. And so let's build those ministry conversations into whatever it is that we are that we are doing. And again, there's nothing wrong with the fall foliage or whatever, but hey, it's God's creation. What does that mean to you, and how are you going to take that experience and apply it in your mentoring relationships or in your whatever it is that that God is calling you to do. So uh, we need reformation in the thinking of seniors and in the priorities of our churches. Yeah, so that, yes, you can do things to build your group. There's nothing wrong with that. So if you say, well, I'm taking this trip because we want to build fellowship and community real community that these seniors can have together well that's fine that's that's completely fine but if it's just well we just want something to do uh that's not really the purpose or or the mission or what what really the church should do you can do that on your own and and i i tell some people there's banks that do this they'll have a little senior travel group go with them you know right Uh, there's there's uh senior centers that will have different little things that are just simply for the sole purpose of entertaining your age group. But the church has a mission to engage people in fruitfulness. And and I love that that's what you're saying. So we don't want isolation. We want to avoid that. The church is a great place to be a part of that where you're not isolated, but you've got to think, how can I serve and minister to other people? Now, let me move to the third question. And that is simply... Um, how is this teaching impacting the kingdom of God in a fruitful way? So you, you've talked about what you do, uh, retirement reformation, and what that is, and, and all the importance surrounding it, all the issues surrounding it. We've talked about why this is important. It's important because of isolation, which is very real, very deadly. There needs to be purpose, and it's biblical to have that purpose. But But now let's talk about this aspect. You mentioned that in the gray years, I think this is how you formed it on the PowerPoint. You said there's gray divorces, there's gray bankruptcy, bankruptcy. addiction, and suicide. There's four of them. Gray bankruptcy, gray addiction, gray suicide, and gray divorce. Okay. What is that? Explain that to the listener. What is What that is, well, it's pretty clear what addiction is, pretty clear what divorce is, pretty clear what suicide is. Um and, and so all of these come as a result of loneliness. 
those are those are the the what when when someone is experiencing that loneliness and they are looking inward those are then the natural results that will come and so we see all those issues are just going off the charts and so the church isn't addressing it uh, we're not we're not naming it we're not talking about it and so i would challenge you to put together a sermon series or as you are using examples about loneliness to be able to say, and here is a result. And as I shared with a church that we were at recently, they had three people, a, a teenager, um, someone middle age, and a senior, all committed suicide within a month. Mm-hmm. And so it is rampant everywhere. It is the, you know, it is, it is the sinful solution. Uh, you know, as, as, the, as the evil one speaks to us, what do they want? They want us to live. No, they want us to die. And so these are ways that they can, that, that that is happening. And it's because we're living so much longer. These are opportunities that are that are expanding there. Well, and, and capitalize on that. You said we're living so much longer. You, you gave a statistic that was mind-boggling to me as well today at the beginning of your speech. Yeah. You said people used to not live that long historically they would retire and two years later they would die and now we have people living well into their 90s so now you have a 30-year retirement period which is unknown in the history of man since methuselah uh we haven't had that experience we have no models uh we have no experience and it's starting now to you you can start to see it but people aren't recognize it and so what we really need is in the 48 million people that we're talking to, we really need a movement of God to be able to, to take the issues that we're talking about and bring them to his tipping point where there is both a realization and what it is that God would have us do and how as the church we can both minister to and be a part of. Matter of fact, one of the, uh, a friend of mine a number of years ago went to a, a church planting and growth seminary is going to start a church. And uh, he came back and I said, so, so Bart, I said, so what'd you learn in the six weeks you were in, in this, in this class? And he looked at me and he says, what I learned was that if we don't have enough gray hairs, we're not going to make it. And so one of the things that, that I believe is true for the church to have an impact on our culture, it's not going to start with our young people. It's going to start with our seniors impacting our middle age and our younger people. That's the sequence that, in fact, we can change our culture. So many of us put our head in our hands and say, you know, it's our culture is terrible and it's going downhill and ugh, it's going to be you know, going to be worse. How's that going to change? I believe that it's through the reformation and the use of activating seniors, those 48 million. If we could just change the thinking and the actions of 10 million of those 48 million, the impact on our culture would be absolutely huge. Yeah, you uh, were, were saying that um, a lot of times they complain, and we hear that. Everything's gone to pot. Well, what are you doing about it? Exactly. Mentor a young family. Yep. Teach a mom how to cook. Yep. I mean, there's so many things. Te- teach a dad how to how to be a dad and parent. Um you know, the list could go on and on. Teach them how to clean their house. I mean, if, if they don't know, maybe they didn't have parents. Maybe they didn't have good role models. So here you are in the church, and the church is the perfect environment for that. 
redefine senior ministry. So all these grays, gray bankruptcy, gray divorce, we are seeing that. Those are the repercussions and the outbearing of loneliness. So this is why, you know, how, how this ministry impacts the kingdom instantly. You see there's all these things that could be a possibility, but, but we want to curve that and curb it if we can as well. Curve the, the bell curve and, and curb the whole thing and, and go from there. So many of the churches that I visit, their whole emphasis is, oh, we, we have to support and grow the youth ministry and the young couples. That's the future of the church. The best way to do that is to impact the lives of the seniors and have them impact the, those people and the younger people. And then that younger people will be attracted and more will come. And so I think we've got it backwards. And, and so if I was to start a church from scratch tomorrow, the first thing I would do, I would reach out for the seniors in the community and bring them in and then energize them to impact. And you know what young parents say? Do you know that church? It's absolutely amazing. They got these people that they mentor us. They'll, they show us how to cook. They, they do whatever. And, and they would, it would go viral. Yeah. And we grow the church that way. Right. Well, absolutely. And, you know, that's why I'm, I'm all for intergenerational worship and very much against a classic service and a contemporary service because all you're doing is dividing the ages. You've got to get together. Young people need older people in the church. Older people need younger people in the church. Yep. They need each other. So they've got to learn patience. It's a fruit of the spirit. And patience means I'm going to learn to tolerate your songs and you're going to learn to tolerate my songs. And it's not about preference. Preference is not a fruit of the spirit. So when you when you siphon groups off with these tailor-made worship services, you're killing generations. Young people don't have the mentoring. Older people don't have the opportunity and vice versa. So it's so needed in the kingdom of God, and all of that is so valuable. Um, l- let me ask this question, Bruce. What did you do before you were doing this at 82 years of age? Because I know you said something in there about you used to have another work life. What did you do in that life before this ministry? Yeah, 35 years ago, God used a whole series of interesting experiences, including a call to Timbuktu, literally, uh, to change the direction of my life. And so I started a a, a ministry that was called Retirement, which which is (laughs) called Christian Retirement Coalition, terrible name. Uh, We changed it to Envoy Financial. And what we did is we provided the financial side of retirement, did retirement and still do retirement plans for a couple thousand churches and about 450 nonprofit organizations. And so it was in that context that I worked on the, on the financial side for 30 plus years. It was out of that that God said, Bruce, that's fine. I'm, I'm, you know, that was needed and thank you for responding and you've impacted a lot of lives financially, but there's more to retirement than money. Hmm. And so that was seven years ago. And so at age 75, is when he began to make the transition and say, Bruce, you need to bring to the attention of all the people you've talked to. We've got 12,000 clients on the Envoy side, but to the churches and to the church, to people that there is more than money. And here's where my heart is. You founded Envoy? I did. I've very much heard of that. 
I didn't know I'm in the presence of a legend. <laughs> Timothy, you are in the presence of a legend. Now, but you said something about your dad founded something. You mentioned now you mentioned Keebler, but I don't think you were saying no, that. No, that was that was actually that was the story of what I was trying to explain and, and to encourage people that, you know, how do you how do you communicate with your grandchildren, for example, about the legacy of the life in your family? Because they don't know the stories. And if you don't tell them the story, so I told the story of my great grandfather who, That's who it was, came yeah. from the Netherlands and he had three dollars. And uh, with, he had three sons and his wife, and they came to Michigan from the, from the Netherlands, and they ended up with $3. Well, what they did with those $3 is the legacy that he left to me. What did he do with those $3? First thing he did was he paid rent. He took care of his family. The second dollar was that he gave it to the church. It was important that, in fact, that we be good stewards of the resources that we have and we share those. So we are good stewards. That's what we do. Third thing was he had them buy ingredients for cookies. And they made cookies and the boys took them out and sold them. And so that we are we are Christian entrepreneurs that in fact we're willing to step into what God has for us. And out of that came three companies. One was the cookie co Heckman Biscuit Company, which became Keebler. Second was Heckman Rusk and the third was Heckman Furniture Company. And so that we are all from your all from my great grandfather and those three brothers, and and they modeled what it is that my great grandfather taught them with those three dollars. Wow! One goes to the rent, take care of the family. Second one goes to the church, be a good steward. Third, be a Christian entrepreneur, and do what God gifted you to do to be able to impact others through the business world. So they made cookies, they sold them. And now we have the elves. And now we the have the Keebler elves. <laughs> That's your family. You didn't know. You didn't know that those elves were Christians. I did not know it, but I you'll knew you'll never that, see them hey, again. They they never they never burned the tree down. So I figured <laughs> there must be something special about those elves. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Now, is your family still in the Keebler business? No, no they sold no, out. They okay. Sold out. Yeah, but that's incredible. And so, but the the importance is the legacy that he established. This is what we do. And unless you tell your, those, those kinds of stories to your grandchildren, they will never know the heritage, the legacy that has been created perhaps over generations that in fact will influence them in the decisions that they make and how they deal with their families, how they deal with the issues of stewardship, how they deal with, with, uh, with their life or their work that God calls them to do. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to be like you when I grow up. How about that? <laughs> that I, I want to be 82 and, and doing great kingdom work and ministry. And you said that your gene pool, your grandmother lived to 102. Yeah. So you may have another. Well, I'm called to 104. So I figure I got 20, 22 more years to be able to make a difference and just simply pray that that the events that I talked about, the health and the other things, will, will, uh, will all play a role in, uh, in these areas of ministry and the opportunity to be here with you and your congregation and to be able to have this conversation. It's just an absolute it's delight. Fantastic, yes. Well, thank you for giving me your time. And we're going to link your website, which is Retirement Reformation. I always want to switch those, Reformation, but it's Retirement Reformation. 
www.ebrd.org. You can learn more about this and find all kinds of great resources. Brother, thank you for serving us in such a wonderful way. It's been a, it's been a blessing. And, and whenever you're about what God calls you to do, it always has meaning, it has purpose, and brings you joy and freedom. Amen. Amen. And on that note, we are out. And that's another episode of our podcast, Footnotes. We drop our podcast each Friday, so be sure to tune in, check us out, and listen. Footnotes is a ministry of Broadway Baptist Church located in South Haven, Mississippi. We're located right outside of the Metro Memphis area. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at broadwaychurch.org. Until next time, it's Footnotes. Footnotes.